I'm sure it's one of your greatest memories as a parent, and uh, those of you are parents and you young people look forward to this as parents down the road, the faces of your children or nieces and nephews as they open their Christmas presents, the reaction to the gifts that are given on Christmas morning, it's, it's really phenomenal, and it doesn't stop once your kids are adults either. Uh, you know, we work hard, mostly Kimmy works hard during Advent, to, uh, to buy our kids just the right gifts, but to see our kids' faces when they're surprised, when they didn't ask for it, but we gave them something that's just delightful. And my kids said, my face, as I opened up a signed Joe Theismann football. Wow. Huh? That was, it was great. DT got me a Bluetooth speaker that sounds better than any speakers I ever had in my teenage years. And it's Bluetooth. I can hook up my phone and boom, it's awesome. It's wonderful to see the reactions of what people receive as a gift from Christmas. But what about our reaction of the ultimate gift of Jesus Christ? This is, this is going to be a phenomenal year this year. We are walking into 2017. It's the 500th anniversary of the Reformation this year. You're going to hear me reference that ad nauseum. <laughs> because, my friends, we're a Reformational church. And the Reformation just recovered what the church had always believed in the scriptures. And not only that... Today is the day of the holy name. If you look at verse 21, at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Because in the Jewish tradition on the eighth day, you named your child. And in our baptism service, the, the wonderful thing about uh, being in the Anglican Church of North America is that we're recovering the great theology in our new prayer book, which will be out, God willing, in the next few years. Uh, at baptism, we look to the parents and we say, name this child. Harkening back to the ancient Jewish service of circumcision. Because today, in the text, Jesus is named by his father, which was obedient by Joseph to give him the name, which means the one who saves. For he is truly our gift. And who do the angels go to? Does he, do they go to Caesar Augustus? You know, if I was God, I would, you know. You know, I'd go to the powerful and say, take it there. Here's my king. But no, the Lord doesn't do that. Does he go to King Herod? The mightiest in the Jewish land? No. He goes to the lowest of the low of the pecking order of Jewish society. Who's the lowest of the low of our society? Just think about who that might be. Some Mexican farm workers in an Alabama, you know, tomato field. The way they're treated. My mother says in South Georgia, they're treated just awfully. But they're willing to do the work. He appears to these shepherds who were less educated, who 
were considered unclean because not only did they deal with unclean animals, they didn't always wash properly before going to worship. And so they looked down upon. And in this passage, on this, the eighth day of Christmas and the first day of 2017, what we see in this text is great news for us professing Christians and those who are struggling Christians about how we can reprioritize our lives in the proper New Year's resolutions. I encourage you to open up with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 because what we hear upon their hearing the good news, it motivates us to move, share, and to ponder and treasure. As Christians, we're called as disciples to move, to share, and to ponder and treasure. First, to move. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. You know, if I'm the shepherd and I pull out my shepherd's union card, you know, I would have thought, you know, it's just a baby. I got to keep watch over my master's sheep. You know, I... That's not my job, but these weren't just ordinary shepherds, were they? They had had a unique revelation that the Lord had given to them through this angelic host. And the Lord had made known it to them, and they got it. And because they got it, they went from decision to discovery, and they moved. They didn't sit there and say, okay. I've done all the right things now as a good Jew. I'm just going to sit here and stay with my sheep and keep it here. Nope. Because they got it that if redemption, if salvation, if being saved doesn't affect the way we act, the way we treat our dog, the way, or his lambs, or his kids, or my wife, or my colleagues... The redemption that I've received is a, is a fiction. My friends, it motivates us to move out as followers of Christ. And it happens in all of our lives. In an inconvenient time, perhaps in the middle of the night, during the day of our rising down, our, our rising up and our laying down. The shepherds understood it, and it moved them to action. Oh, may it do so in our lives. Might be inconvenient at times to join the Lord at the work that he's doing around us, but it's always the most satisfying, fulfilling work in life that we could ever live. So in 2017, may we similarly, as the shepherds, as God guides us and speaks to us through his word, through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, prompt us to move in the direction that he should choose. They were called to go see the Lord, the newborn king. It might be for us to move and uh, shovel our neighbor's sidewalk who's unable to. It might be some random act of kindness, and as we do so, leads us to our second point, to share the good news. Verse 17, and when they saw it, They made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. It was exciting news what they had been seeing, and therefore they shared it 
with others. You know, you young people, when you have a new boyfriend or girlfriend, you can't shut up about them. When your favorite team has a great win or a great loss, you don't stop talking about it. When you hear a wonderful symphony, you tell others about it. I couldn't stop during Advent talking about Michael Buble's arrangement of Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. It's a phenomenal, jazzy, beautiful Christmas song. Absolutely meaningless. But it's romantic and it's fun. But I talked about it. You see, we talk about the things that are important to us, but do we talk about the gift that is Jesus Christ? We have a story that not only has turned our lives upside down in a positive way, it'll turn our neighbors' lives upside down positive way. So I want to encourage us in 2017 to be a people continually engaged in this need-oriented evangelism initiative, which we've been talking about for three years. It's important that we are out there doing it. And I'm so proud of you. You guys stuck your necks out this year and invited more people. We had a 10% increase in attendance on Christmas Eve. We had a 10% increase on Christmas Day. You know, people visiting, people just telling other people, why don't you come join me? It's not flashy, but the Lord uses it, and you guys did it. Thank you. God bless you. Keep it up. Let's meet the needs and the very minimum thing we can do. Why don't you come to church with me and let's go out to brunch? It's great. It's super. And if you and personally, as you get opportunities, I encourage you just to continue to get equipped. We have so many groups here. You know, if you, if you recommitted your life to Christ on Christmas Eve or or in any way just want to ask questions, we're starting a discovery group next Saturday. Email me. I don't have anybody who's emailed me yet, but I've got that time available. If it's just one person, I'll do it. The point is that get equipped as we walk through John's gospel, answering the big questions of life, helping people know what they believe and why, or any of the other various groups that we have in order that we, like the shepherds, might share what had been revealed to them. Avery Willis was a Baptist missionary of the 20th century. Avery was an extraordinary person, but as a lay person, he just said, you know, Lord, help me every day to have an opportunity to share who you are with somebody else. And he just was very intentional. And I think that's the posture we need to have. It's just to be intentional. You, nobody's called you to be Billy Graham or Avery Willis or Gene Sherman. He's called you to be you within your personality, but he's called you to shine the light. We're a, we're a city on the hill. We're the redeemed community here in Avon Lake, across with our partner churches all over the West Shore. And my friends, we have what the world needs. We know that. May we, like Avery, always just be, have a posture to share the good news. He saw the Lord do amazing things to him almost every day. If it wasn't just gossiping the gospel, it was actually sharing it. Many people came to faith through Avery. Oh, in 2017, may come, many come to faith through us. And notice the reaction of the world around them at verse 18. What did they do? And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. 
I'm sure part of that wonder was because of who they were in their culture. But the reality is, it's obviously something was happening through these shepherds. And it's obvious something's happening through us as we do it as well. May the community wonder because of the hearing of the good news through the Christ Church family. And finally, we're called to be a people who ponder and treasure. Following Mary's example, verse 19, but Mary, after seeing all these shepherds come, I mean, could you imagine you're a teenager, you're holding God in your arms, and all of a sudden these shepherds come and they worship this king that you're holding, this true king. So Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in their hearts. Ponder is the Greek word sumbalu, which means to bring together in one's mind. Putting that information into context. To connect the dots. To think something out. It's to look at the Bible verse and to ask yourself questions. What does this word mean? How does this fit within the context of the sentence? How does this fit within the context of the paragraph? How does this fit within the context of the chapter? How does this fit within the context of that particular book of the Bible? How does this fit within the whole context of the Bible? That is pondering. Psalm 119.30 states, The unfolding of your words gives life. Ben has one of those, one of those, those hammocks, what are they called? You know, they're, they're a hammock. It, it, you, can, you can pack it up into a ball about this big. But you've unfolded it and it becomes this huge hammock that you can hang between two trees, you know, about from, from this lectern to that lectern. <laughs> it's amazing how big it is. See, the Bible is like that. It's compact. And when you unfold it, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger for you and for me. Tim Keller states, the Bible is like that infinitely so. What looks like a simple statement when pondered can be discovered to have a multitude of dimensions of meaning and endless personal applications. Far more than could ever be discovered with a cursory glance. Has your personal study, your Bible reading, been cursory glances this year? 2016 was kind of a eh year, right? Meh, right? For many of us, you know, the election, everybody kind of went meh, right? Um, lots of awful things happening in the world. We were kind of glad to say goodbye to it. Looking forward to 2017. Well, let me give you a suggestion to help you ponder, which I learned from Tim Keller's book. Ben gave Kimmy this book by Tim Keller, which he wrote probably in two weeks in the summertime, compiling a bunch of sermons called The Meaning of Christmas. Highly committed to you. I'm almost done with it. But this was a, a... illustration that he gave on what it meant to ponder. He went to a Bible conference where a person named Barbara Boyd, not the congresswoman, but another Barbara Boyd, and she said, I want you to sit, all of you, 300 people in the room, I want you to sit for 30 minutes and write 30 things down, 
30 things down from Mark 1.17, where Jesus said to his followers, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 30 minutes. Ready? Go. And don't think after five to ten minutes and four or five things written down that you've figured it all out. So they sat, and Tim did as he had been told, and after ten minutes, he figured that he had everything in the passage that he had. So he put his pen down and was going to spend the next 20 minutes daydreaming or napping. But he looked around, and everybody else was working. So he picked up his pen and started to ponder a little more. Then he started to see some things he hadn't seen before. He imagined what the sentence would mean if he took a word out. It was easier to assess what unique meaning each word then gave to the sentence. So for each word then, he started to write three or four things. Then he tried to paraphrase the entire verse, putting it into his own words. And that showed him even more levels of meanings and implications that he had previously missed. At the end of 30 minutes, the teacher asked them to put down their pens and asked them to circle the biggest insight that they had had in that entire time. And she, then she asked, okay, how many of you discovered this life-changing thing the first five minutes? Nobody raised their hand. Ten minutes. Nobody raised their hand. Fifteen minutes. A few. Twenty minutes. A few more. Twenty-five minutes. Everybody's hand went up. You see, to ponder, it's going to take some time. So, may I suggest, a wonderful discipline is to just start with five minutes. And let it grow. Let it grow. Take a passage that jumps off the page in your Bible reading and just focus on that passage. Take a word out and read the passage and what does that word mean within the context of the sentence and let the Lord speak by the power of the Holy Spirit through his word to your heart and your soul. My friends, a pondering people is a beautiful thing. Next, we're a treasuring people. A treasure has to do more with the emotions of the heart, to keep something alive or to savor on it. And Mary doesn't ponder just in order to have a bunch of head knowledge. I know a lot of people have knowledge of the Bible and it doesn't move them at all. Treasuring is not so much a technique as it is an attitude. I think it's wonderfully expressed in Psalm 119.11. Lord, I have hidden your word in my heart. To treasure is to, in a sense, to preach to yourself. To remind yourself of the preciousness, of the value, of the wonder, of the particular truth that you are treasuring. Asking yourself questions such as, how would my life be different if I really believed this from the bottom of my heart? How would I change my thinking, my feeling, my actions, my relationships? How would my prayer life look different? My attitude about God be different. See, if you don't ponder, you don't treasure the word of God, 
you will not truly hear all the measure of the, that the Lord has for you. Oh, your ears will hear it, but your mind won't and your heart won't. It won't sink in, nor will it comfort you, nor will it convict or change you. So, in 2017, let's be shepherdish, shall we? Let's be merry-ish. Let us move. Let's join the Lord at the work he's doing around us. Let us share the good news as we're given opportunity, getting equipped. And we can do all those two things if we ponder and treasure. So we've got to be intentional in your own discipleship. And we can do that. And you know what? As we do so, look, look at what happens in verse 20. What happens when God's people, be them shepherds or a poor teenage mother, when they do these things? And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for they had seen, as they had heard and seen, as had been told them. They we're glorifying God for all they see, and they praise God, and people wonder. See, that's what happens when you encounter Jesus. <laughs> Knowing that this baby would one day, we know that this baby would one day go from the feeding trough to the cross for us. That's the gift that Jesus is, to give us not only eternal life, but a full life here. A life well lived for the glory of God and for the love of his people and for the love of our families and encouraging them. My friends, that's what Christmas is all about. Merry eighth day of Christmas, ladies and gentlemen. And may this be the most blessed new year you've ever had because of what Jesus has done in each and every one of our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for shepherds. The, the, the wonderful paradox that you, you came for the weak. You came for the despised because you were willing to be despised upon the cross for us. Lord, we're so grateful for the gift that is Jesus in our lives. And we pray that we embrace you once again. That you come for us. And I pray that we would be people who would be movers in the ways you have wired us that we would uh, truly get equipped and, Lord, that we would ponder and treasure so that you be glorified this year like, like never before in each and every one of our lives. And no matter whether we're, we're teenagers or young people, young adults and middle-aged adults or older adults, Lord, use us this year as we wonder of what you have done for us in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And may we, in, the, in our still small spirits, always rejoice with the heavenly host, giving glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased always. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.